This is Corkscrew Convos, another theme park podcast. My name is DJ. And my name is Chris. And we are here to talk about theme parks, roller coasters, barbecue, a wooden mouse, the theater, and everything else under the sun in its time. But first, let's get our disclaimer out of the way. The views, opinions, and information expressed during the following presentation are solely those of the individuals involved and do not represent organizations affiliated with those individuals. DJ, it's been a week or two since we've recorded, and since then there's been some sensation that has swept across the world. I've seen lots of videos of it on the TikTok and the Facebook and the Instagram and whatever else. Uh, it's a milkshake, but it's not just any milkshake. It is the Grimace shake for Grimace's birthday from McDonald's. And my question oh. to you is, have you had it? First off, happy birthday, Grimace. Happy birthday, Grimace. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. And insert noise from Hereditary right about now. <laughs> oh, it's this Gen Z culture thing where they take something that is like, you can tell, like the, the Grimace shake marketing campaign, Grimace's birthday. It's this fun, sanitized corporate thing. And then it's this young, almost Dadaist humor of taking it and making it something that McDonald's could not retweet, to say the least. They could not retweet it on Twitter. However, I think it's interesting that people are putting like their chief marketing officer or their social media person on blast, and then I think it's him saying, oh, like he went public on Twitter and was like, actually, no, this is great for us. And then the CMO was like, yeah, he's right. Good job, man, or something like that. So I think you know it's not something McDonald's could do, but at the end of the day... You're still drinking the purple goo. Yeah, it's not something that you could retweet, but you are getting that uh, generation of impressions out there of people trying the Grimace shake and saying, happy birthday, Grimace, and then jump cut to uh, something unholy, to say the least. So (laughs) I have not tried it personally yet. I think some of these uh, companies, like, I'm not saying, I don't think they've done it, but like Wendy's or Ryanair, come and go like these accounts that are known to be wacky and out there they're participating in it or doing their own version and you know it's kind of like eh, okay it's kind of funny but like you said mcdonald's can't retweet it they're not really engaging with it so i think that's why their social media person their cmo are using their personal accounts to interface yeah it's a way of keeping it at arm's length for a little bit But uh, I think it's fun to see because it's people having a little bit of fun. I've seen a lot of creativity, like even uh, a version I just saw today where it was this video of someone picking up a camcorder at a thrift store saying, oh, look at this tape that I found in the camcorder. And it's uh, this grainy footage at night of pulling up to the drive-thru, ordering the milkshake, and then other things happening of course and i think that's might have been the best one yet so far there were multiple bodies of water involved uh it was very well done very well done and to go back to your question um i have had a grimace shake you have and you've lived to tell the tale have you not no 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 i don't know i don't know if milkshakes from mcdonald's are sort of in my wheelhouse right now uh was it good was it worth it you know what? Um, I don't like... People are going to hate... Uh, they won't hate me, but they're going to be like, why not? I don't like whipped cream, so I get it without whipped cream. Um, I like real whipped cream. Like, if my wife just is like, I'm going to make whipped cream, that's really good. Or yes. if, like fresh from a bakery. Heavy whipping cream. 
Yeah, but, and she actually she does it in the bowl, and it's just so much lighter and just tastes more real. I don't like the stuff from the can, um, so I usually don't get it on anything. Um, that, that said, the shake is actually, I think, pretty good. Um, to me, it tastes... Some people say they get hints of blueberry, and that's probably right, and some other berries... If you remember, as maybe some of you still do this, um, if you have a bowl of Fruit Loops and the milk's at the bottom of the bowl, that's what it tastes like. But specifically, a Fruit Loops or like Tricks or some sort of fruity cereal, even fruity pebbles, it tastes like what if you left just made a milkshake with what's in the bottom of the bowl after it's all oh. been the flavor absorbed. So it's the Lacroix of milkshakes. Is that it? Mm, yeah, it's like Fruit Loops essence. That's exactly okay. right. All right, that's... essence of the loop. Uh, that's uh... which is the topic of today's <laughs> roller coaster podcast. Essence of the loop. Huh? The that essence might be of the loop. title, though. I think that's a great title. I'm gonna have to remember that when I'm editing, so I put that in the title. Don't let me forget that. But okay. I, I have not tried the Grimace Shake yet. I don't know if I will. After what I've seen, I'm scared. Uh, I'm glad <laughs> that you survived. It's probably because you didn't have the whipped cream on it. That might be the. Right. The secret to to making it to tell the tale after you try a grimace shake from McDonald's, but it's really fun to follow. And, and speaking of TikTok trends, DJ, there's been something that I've been meaning to try. It's a, a recipe, and I'm not necessarily going to go to TikTok for cooking recipes or things like that. But I have recently. That's I've what seen I do. <laughs> what are they cooking, and I said, "Oh, how do they do that?" Let me rewind a little bit. How did they mix up that together? And I went to the grocery store right before we recorded this, and I got um, materials for that sort of uh, pickle wrapped in pan-fried cheese, where you lay a slice of cheese down on the pan. It cooks a little bit, crisps up a little bit, and then you wrap the pickle, wrap the pickle spear in that, and it's supposedly salty and, and tangy, pickly. I don't know yet how it's going to work, but I'm very intrigued. I, I splurged for the best, DJ. I got a big jar of Clausen pickle spears, because for me, it has to be Clausen. If it's not Clausen, it's nothing. I I don't know if I actually I think I've said this on the podcast before. I hate pickles more than anything. It's probably my least favorite food of of anything. Okay, follow-up question then. Point of order. Uh-huh. Does your significant other like pickles? It might be one of her favorite foods ever. Okay, so that's the symbiotic relationship. I mean, that's how you know. That's how that works. So I'm really glad that that works out for you like that because there's someone to eat your pickles <laughs> off of your yes. plate. Yeah, no matter what it is. But the thing about pickles, though, is if depending on the setting, the medium, it can, in my opinion, ruin the entire thing you're eating. Um, for example, this morning um, I had a at, a, at a this employee event, and they had these chicken sandwiches there, and they were this pickle brined chicken sandwich. Yeah. And there was so much brining that happened. It's like I almost couldn't eat it because I cannot stand that specifically dill pickle thing. Now, here's the other part of this. I like other pickled foods. I like pickled beets. I love pickled radish. Um, Pickled anything is great. Pickled carrots. But I do not like cucumbers to begin with, so that's the issue. So how can you make a cucumber worse? You pickle it. Now, is that a texture thing? Uh, It's the, like, for me, it's the watery flavor. Like, if I'm eating a salad and there's cucumbers in it, all of a sudden, it's like all I'm tasting is cucumber. That's it's like okay. uh, some people are like this with celery. I love celery, but as you know, a little bit of you don't need much celery salt to get that sort of 
stocky, celery, peppery flavor. Um, I imagine for some people, that's why they don't like arugula. I love arugula, but you put a little bit of arugula on something and like that's sometimes all you taste. Yeah, I think it sort of makes sense where you talk about you don't like a pickled cucumber, but you like a pickled other things because I do think the reason why a cucumber is the prototypical pickled thing is because of how much liquid it holds on to and how much it absorbs that vinegar flavor. Uh, so it makes sense. I mean, I hadn't even yeah. thought about why cucumbers were the uh, the the most pickled item. Now, it's well, sort yeah. of you have to you have to say pickled whatever, but yeah. if it's a cucumber, that's a that's pickles or yeah. a, a pickle. Everybody just somehow agreed. That if we're going to have a pickled vegetable, it's going to be a cucumber, and we're going to like it. Now, I'm not a gardener by any means, but I'm also assuming, well, my my dad gardens all the time. Like, there's always cucumbers. So I'm also imagining that cucumbers are, A, extremely easy to grow, and B, cucumbers are, um, to vegetables, what watermelon is to fruit. Like, in the summer, people love watermelon because... There's so much water in it. It's so refreshing. And I think that's why there's all these cucumber waters and you associate it with being clean, like cucumber soap. Yeah. It's got to be. So that makes sense. It makes sense why everybody somehow agreed and said, we're going to make pickles out of cucumbers and we're going to like it. It's sort of like, and I'm not sure if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, it's sort of like somehow down the line, we all agreed that when we're going to have this medium-sized mammal that we're going to domesticate, it's going to be a cat. It could have easily been a raccoon or a rabbit. And some mm. rabbits, I guess, are domesticated, but imagine if somewhere in an alternate universe, raccoons were decided to be domesticated instead of cats. I think that would be very no. interesting. I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast before. I might have. But it's something I think about a lot because I see some videos of... Like, there was one time a, a kid, like seven or eight years old, um, brought into the house this raccoon and was just holding it like a baby. And I thought, that could easily be a cat. Why didn't two or 3,000 years ago, why didn't we begin the domestication process for raccoons? They have hands, they have the thumbs, they, they can steal. That would probably be more difficult if we did have a domesticated creature in the house that could take our things. Uh, but, uh, dear listener, if you can't see this right now, DJ's holding his temples saying, what is going on here? Oh, no, I, but, I had something in my eye. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're good. I mean, somehow I do get out there sometimes when I think my deep thoughts. But it's just something I thought about and I was reminded of it when I think about cucumbers being what we all agree upon as the thing that we pickle and then cats being what we domesticate. And of course, there's dogs and other stuff too, but it could have easily been raccoons at some point. And I think maybe we shouldn't give up on that. That's all I'm going to say. I, I typically also avoid sushi that has cucumbers for kind of the same reason. Like a California roll, all I taste is rice and cucumber. Hmm. Well, the cheapest ingredients in there, too. They probably load up yeah. on the roll for that. That's, that's true. Well, I do, I, do, I do the Miami roll. That's where, that's where I'm at. Or the Philly roll. What's in a Miami roll? Uh, actually, let me. I'm thinking of a Philly roll. Philly roll is salmon, cream cheese, and avocado. So I like take any roll that has cucumber, sub it for avocado. Awesome. Okay. Love avocados. Yeah. Fresh avocado, fresh avocado. I could definitely do that. Um, 
and just gets back to cream cheese. I'm not going to get on my cream cheese soapbox. I already got on my raccoon soapbox today, so that's my uh, quota the, for the... Cream day. cheese with the salmon gives it this nice, smoky flavor. Uh, yeah, just put it in a bagel, I guess, because you're already halfway there. Yeah, salmon cream cheese bagel, yeah. yes. Uh, I can I dig it. All right, but DJ, I mean... Uh, this is just some of the, the fun things that put a little bit of a time step on this episode here where if someone goes back a year or more from now and they start listening to Course Crew Convos and here they are in episode 105 and we hear about the Grimace Shake and <laughs> and all these other things, it, it puts a little bit of uh, modern flavor onto what this episode is because a lot of what we talk about could be... Um, it could be topical. It could be timeless. I think we do try to put uh, some evergreen things uh, out there a lot. But sometimes it's nice just to talk about what is going on right now. And this week, the Grimace Shake is number one. I'm I'm just cracking up laughing because I just I had the thought of, you know, every time we post a new podcast, I'll get the notification on my phone. It's Apple Podcasts, like a new episode. And so I always hold it because I'm like, oh, is this our episode? And it tells me the title, and I just imagine seeing Happy Birthday Grimace. That would be so funny with a skull emoji. Should that be our title? I mean, we already had, like, the essence of the loop or something like that. But if you want Happy Birthday Grimace, we can do that. Happy Birthday Grimace, colon, the essence of a loop. Oh, <laughs> wow. This episode is going to be a wild one. I can already tell. We're 15 was, minutes it, in, but... It was hot today, Chris. It was like 104, 103 before the heat index. It was. I stayed inside for most of the day because we have that haze in the air from all those fires out oh, there yeah. up north. Yeah. Uh, another timestamp on this episode, unfortunately, but right. uh, it's been hazy and hot today. Uh, but <laughs> here we of, are. Uh, thinking of all our dear listeners if they happen to live up there because that's just, that's a lot. It's a lot, yeah. man. Yeah. So, it's a lot, but uh, DJ. Some of the recent fun that we've had, uh, poor attempt at a transition, I'll admit, but some of the recent fun that we've had uh, for Corkscrew Convos, we should remind our listeners of uh, before we dive into this episode's main topics. Of course, we had a nice review of Bush Gardens' 10th roller coaster, Dark Coaster, and their Food and Wine Festival as well that just recently finished up. Uh, but we also, with our most recent episode, right before this one, had an episode called Return on Investment. And that was where we sort of got into the weeds and the nitty gritty about why parks spend millions on a coaster or something else. Yeah, and I think there was a little bit of Spider-Verse talk in there. We had a little bit of Batman talk, a little bit of uh, Spain talk. Um, and so that was always fun, too. But uh, we also did Wooden Coaster 101 with Matt, who was with Martin and Vlaminx. He's a wooden coaster builder. Um, yes, that is a real job that you, too, can have, dear listener, if you play your cards right. Um, but Matt gave us the ins and outs of what it's like to be on site and building a wooden coaster, specifically Leviathan, at Sea Space World uh, down under in Australia. So that's a good Sea and Space episode. World? Oh, yeah, yes. Uh, <laughs> sea Inter-Return World? No, it has, to, it has to be a space key. Um, but that was a fun episode, and we've got plenty like that in our catalog, dear listener. So feel free to go back and see some of our other fun interviews we've done with industry professionals, and hopefully we'll have some more interviews here for you soon. So if you are new to Corkscrew Convos, welcome. Thanks for stopping by. We're glad you're here. Take a look around, take a listen, and we hope you enjoy yourself. So there's something new on the skyline, Chris. Now, notice I didn't say horizon, and that's because, well, we're talking about the one and only skyline, at least in the attractions industry. 
We're not taking Chile out of the equation. We're talking about Skyline Attractions, headquartered in Orlando, Florida. Uh, You saw something very interesting, Chris, and you texted it to me, and I thought, hmm, what could this be for? Yeah, it's one of those things that makes you go, hmm, I wonder what they're working on. Because with something like this, with what they posted and with what we're about to talk about, there are some ways where they can hide some things, and then there's some ways where they're going to have to give some critical details about what's going on uh, early in the development process of whatever they're working on here. So they had a Facebook post, another post out there, where they put it out, a sort of a casting call for uh, some little ones to test out a new restraint. But here the, are the details, DJ, and let me see what you think about that. I'm going to read the Facebook post verbatim. Skyline Attractions, LLC. We're looking for children between the heights of 47.5 inches and 48.5 inches tall while wearing shoes to help test a ride restraint for a new attraction. This is tomorrow, Tuesday, June 27th at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time at Orlando, Florida, at a facility near the Florida Mall, specific address and directions to be shared with participants. Parents slash guardian of participants must be present for entirety of the test. Children will be measured at the door and must fall between 47.5 inches and 48.5 inches heights to participate. All attendees must sign non-disclosure form, a waiver, and a release form. Photography and videography of any kind are prohibited. Participants will be secured in a ride restraint and elevated approximately four feet off the floor at times, including sideways and inverted positions. Ding, ding, ding. Test is estimated to last between one and one and a half hours. Restroom facilities are available during this time. Attendees will be compensated with a $50 gift card and Skyline swag as a thank you for their involvement. Interested parties with children that fall within the 47.5 inch and 48.5 inch range should contact Skyline at info at skylineattractions.com with subject line restraint test. End of report. So how about Mm. that? Well, here's what I I will say. Um, I have actually sat in a Skyline restraint before. Um, I had been to their facility and sat in the train. Um, and I would not be surprised. To, to me, it's it's pretty clear. It's they're they're trying to build a different train. They're trying to build a different train or a different restraint. Um, and I think that's because. I'm not saying their cars or restraints were super uncomfortable by any means, um, but they were rather bulky is a word that comes to my mind. And so I'm wondering if they're trying to shave off some of um, the excess there. Um, I think you can see something like this maybe with B&M most recently. Um, they had that same restraint for decades, literally, uh, and now they've moved to a more vest type style restraint. I'm not saying that's what they're doing. It could be anything. Um, but it's just one of those evolutions. The same with Premier Rides, going to their comfort collars from their restraints they'd used for a long time. You know, pick any manufacturer, Intamin, with their new lap bar restraints. So I think comfortability is always at the top of manufacturers these days because this trope of, 
wow, you know, you hear like your parents talk about co- coasters they rode in the 70s and 80s, and they're like, yeah, we got jostled around that thing. We banged our head. It was so much fun. No one's looking for that now. Everyone wants smooth as glass. They want to feel like they're flying. And so all these manufacturers need to do that. And I think what Skyline here is doing is just using their existing audience, uh, mostly people familiar with coasters. I think that's evident with the $50 gift card and, and swag is I think they're looking for people who are also passionate about the industry that they could be able to say whenever this is unveiled, hey, my kid, he did that or she did that and they had a great time. Yeah, they're clearly looking to target that 48-inch height requirement. And like you said, they've had Skywarp models out there. Uh, I think most recently, Title Twist at SeaWorld San Diego a couple of years ago. Uh, this could very well be a, a next generation train for that sort of ride, or maybe even this is for coasters down the line. I mean, this is the first year where we're seeing uh, the Biscetti Bowl coasters being built. So we're seeing that product go up for the first time in real time this year. And that's very exciting to follow at Six Flags Fiesta Texas and Six Flags over Georgia. Uh, But I wonder, with them building this Piscetti Bowl coaster a couple times, could this be leading to other coasters and new models for Skyline Attractions? That's what I'm very interested in. I think it has to be. I mean, I'm sure they're using um, these Piscetti coasters to break into the market and you know proof of concept and that sort of thing but you you have to imagine that they want to build bigger and better and more efficient more comfortable rides and i think that's at play here too i know that well maybe for a time there was something there with maybe it was tidal twist and maybe it was the harley quinn coaster that they used i believe rmc for the track on those rides um so i'm wondering there if there's something going on because I know there's refurbs happening on Wonder Woman Lasso Coaster, um, something with the train there. So I wonder if RMC is like, hey, you know, we want to, you want to try it this way? We made the track for you. You guys want to try and make a train? Interesting. I yeah, I mean, uh, there is... Uh, I'm just thinking flags. of rides that have, like, refurbishments going on right now. And there are a lot of companies that... Premier does this a lot. You know, they'll throw on there a different train onto an old... Uh, different manufacturer, they'll retrofit brakes. Rider Entertainment does this as well. New control system, new brakes. I'm like, what is a ride right now that's going to have a refurb? And I remember seeing that on Instagram that um, Wonder Woman Lasso Coaster, the first single rail from RMC, um, is going through a refurb. And part of that is something about a train being rebuilt or reworked or a new gen. I don't know. Yeah, there could be new trains. And now that was, of course, their first generation of uh, single rail coaster train. So maybe these are linked, maybe they aren't, but that's uh, very interesting to consider there. So uh, it's going to be something we're going to have to follow because uh, I imagine uh, when IAPA comes around in November, Skyline Attractions always tries to make a splash with what yeah. they have out there. They always have those incredible models, of course, because uh, is it Chris Gray who always makes those models? Yeah, uh, and, and incredibly, um, these models, like the way that they articulate and everything. I mean, it's just like a real coaster. Um, it, it's they're, they're amazing. I mean, anyone who's remotely into roller coasters, I feel like they, or even the amusement industry, sees one of those and they're like, yeah, I need one of those in like my living room or my office or garage, whatever, because um, they, they are fantastic. But I wondered, Chris, when you sent me the text about the restraints, it seemed like maybe you thought they were going for like a world's first or like an element that we're not used to, or did you, or were you also on the new train that's just they're making a new train model is that is that what you thought maybe 
Well, I think it's natural that they could be looking towards bigger and better. And is is that going to take the form of some sort of single rail that's not an RMC-type single rail, but it's maybe a scaled-up version of the Pischetti Bowl coaster? Maybe. I think that could be likely, even, that they debut at least a model that can reach greater heights and speeds than a Pischetti Bowl coaster, but with a similar look to it. I think that's very possible. Uh, it makes you wonder if this company, and you'll have to help me out here, I might be shooting myself in the foot, are there any coasters out there that go upside down with a 48-inch height requirement? Oh, yeah, tons of them. Pretty much oh, every arrow has arrows, a 48-inch okay. height requirement. Yeah. Okay. Has there been anything recently, I think hmm. is maybe what I should ask? Uh, we're going to have to look and see what the maybe height RMCs. requirement is in something like hang time would come to mind. I'm going to have to look at that height requirement. Uh, standby. Yeah, if we think about modern roller coasters that go upside down, there are, of course, RMCs and B&Ms and things like that, and even mock coasters, too. Uh, but B&M and mock are 52, 54 for a lot of them, too. I am seeing now with hang time, which is a Gerslauer uh, Infinity coaster, that is a 48-inch height requirement with that okay. lap bar there. Uh, so there are some coasters that are 48-inch height requirements that do go upside down, but I wonder if there is a niche out there that is not being exploited of a lower height requirement. Well, anyways, it doesn't matter for this conversation here because it clearly looks like they're targeting that 48-inch height requirement, but this could put them in that market, which is remarkably less crowded than a looping roller coaster with a 52 or 54 inch height requirement. Well, it's something to think about. I mean, we don't know that it's necessary. We, we just don't know. We just don't know. So we'll have to wait and see. Like you said, maybe we'll get an awesome reveal at IAPA, which is only four or five months away at this point. Sheesh. Um, wow. We're, we're cutting cut it down going? to the wire. Maybe not this year, but we'll see something. Speaking of Skyland Attractions, you had the pleasure just recently of riding one of their most recent projects to open. That's right. It was the Zampezi Zinger at Worlds of Fun. This is my home park growing up. Um, this is an important park to me to ever get a coaster. That's always exciting for me um, because, oh, you know, the park back home got something new and I get to ride it. Had it been 14 years, yes, um, but it is something new, and so that's very exciting. Um, and, yes, you know, the park has gotten... Very unique things um, over the years um, as far as flats and that sort of thing. And I think what's so cool about World's Fun is that they would constantly try to really improve the guest experience, in my personal opinion. They had a huge um, expenditure with their new entrance that really was something that park desperately needed. And, you know, they put their money where their mouth was. They have this awesome entrance, entrance facade, new opening courtyard, a fantastic um, pavilion for for groups. It's really cool. It follows kind of that Cedar Point, Carowinds um, sort of model uh, with what the entrance looks like. But we hadn't seen a coaster. And so I know that a lot of people who love coasters, we were waiting for something. We're like, is this the year? No. Is this the year? No. We get a new haunted house and that was great. Love their haunt event. But Zambezi Zinger, it's here. Um, it's where actually, speaking of haunted houses, um, Chamber of Horrors was. It was Miss Lizzie's Wax Museum, I think, originally. But more importantly, it's where the old Zambezi Zinger was, or at least extremely close to where it was. You actually walk under the boomerang to get to this ride. Um, it uses the old Q entrance to Zambezi Zinger. Um, but that's, in, you know, personally, I think where the main similarities stop. Um, 
it's been interesting to see news coverage of this ride opening because a lot of the local news will say the revamped Zambezi Zinger. And it's like, no, this is a whole new ride. This is not to me. A revamp is you take the same ride and you put new trains on it or add new elements to it. So it's still the same bones. This is a totally new ride. Really some of your similarities. I mean, you've got the spiral lift, but this one's significantly taller, I believe. Um, it doesn't spiral as many times either. So it's steeper. And you've also got this unique, turnaround that's common on those um, uh, rides from Schwarzkopf where uh, you'll kind of do a turn around the outside of the spiral and go back the way you came. Um, so that's very unique. Um, but it's, I got to say about this ride, the cars themselves, the Millennium Flyers, these new generation trains from from GCI, they're beautiful. They went with this like Jeep theme. Um, so all the cars look like a Jeep that you would, you know, maybe take out on the safari. Uh, they even have these cool little um, like caps that look like they can, um, you can unscrew them in the back of each car. Like that's where you would keep your water or something. And it's just decorative, but just like little touches like that. It's like, oh, that was, whatever engineer decided that, that was a nice little uh, cheap addition that, that really goes a long way. Um, I think this is definitely Worlds of Fun's most themed roller coaster by far. Um, I don't think anything really compares to it, maybe except Prowler. And if you want to consider USA being a theme of Patriot, I mean, that's it's all over the ride. The whole thing looks like a flag. But um, the ride itself, the layout is solid. I mean, it's a lot faster than... Um, I anticipated, and it seemed like maybe they also <laughs> thought that way, them being the park and GCI and Skyline, whoever. Um, it, it hauls um, through um, the back part of the park there. Um, they did take mainly all the trees out, so you don't have any of these like near-miss things that you might get with some trees and some foliage. Uh, but there's an awesome tunnel. I saw somebody... Um, I can't remember who this was, um, but I saw they post on social media. They said this ride takes the record for loudest tunnel. So maybe there's a record there for that. Uh, the tunnel is very loud. It's very low to the ground tunnel. You're, you kind of hit it at almost like a 60, 70 degree angle on a bank. So it's very low to the ground. It's like you're going into a triangle instead of like the typical shape entrance you would do on a roller coaster tunnel. Very creative with how they made that tunnel. And there's a couple King's Dominion um, nods as well. There's a few of some animals, I believe, that are in the infield of the rise. Isn't that right, Chris? Yeah, the fiberglass zebra or something yeah. like that that apparently found their way to Kansas City. <laughs> there's a zebra. There, I think there's a rhino. There's a lion. So you can only really see it if you're looking in the queue line or as you're going up the spiral lift. But I do like the spiral lift. It's, it's kind of a unique element. Um, um, but I could see this popping up in other places. Like if you're pressed for space and you could put a spiral lift in, I'm sure that's why the Schwarzkopf models were so um, popular. And the same with some of these Gershlauers that have the vertical lifts. You know, you don't need space to go up high. Um, I doubt there's really a height limit on it. Um, so, you know, I think the ride itself was solid as far as the layout's concerned. Um, lots of transitions, um, a good sense of speed, which you're going to have when you're that close to the ground. I mean, if you've ever seen photos of this ride, dear listener, do yourself a favor if you haven't. Look it up because a lot of the ride, they don't even have catwalks on it because it's so low to the ground. They don't, they don't need maintenance to really get on a catwalk. They can just get a stepladder if they really need to fix something. It's so low to the ground. But I do think you notice that it's not the fastest thing in the world as you go over some of the hills, mainly the um, it's probably the biggest hill after the turnaround. Um, it's just like a standard hill. You do kind of feel like you're going a little slow over it, but after that, you do the whole rest of the ride, and 
you really get a good sense of speed. I doubt you're going over like 40 miles an hour, but the lower you are to the ground, it's just like Prowler. You feel like you're hauling. Well, cool. That sounds like a, a great new ride, and it's something that we haven't seen before, at least for a long time, with that spiral lift. Uh, but you said there, there might not be a, a height limit on that. Are you telling me we're going to see a 500-foot-tall spiral lift? <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure cost is part of it and practicality, but, I mean, I, I don't know. Could we see a 200-foot-tall spiral lift? I mean, why not? Maybe. That sounds like on Roller Coaster Tycoon 3, where I would <laughs> be building the extended coaster that was the most flexible coaster, and it had that spiral lift option. It would go, and it would just build that spiral lift up until it says, you can't build that high anymore, or you ran out of money. And it would just look like this monstrosity, this elevator going up to space <laughs> with all these different supports jutting out of it. That's what I think of with that. Well, I think if you wanted to go up high, like, let's think of the polar coaster that never was built. Like, to get to the top, and the polar coaster is supposed to be, like, the tallest ride in the world if it ever opened, and it was over 500 feet. And so, to get to the top, with the highest coaster in the world being, like, 420, 430, to get to the top, you would ascend a vertical LSM lift, like... That seems like a nightmare if you were stuck at 495 feet, completely vertical. Like, I wonder if that's some of the conversation of, like, how do we evac this thing? What happens? Does it slowly come down? Whereas if you had a spiral lift, like, no matter how tall you are, or high in the air, I should say, your coaster car, your train is still at, like, a 45-degree angle or less that you could just get out and walk down the stairs. Now, with the polar coaster specifically, I'm pretty sure when they had a, a later rendering of it, this was not the first plan, but the later plan, I think when they switched to Intamin or something like that, they <laughs> did have a spiral lift on it to get up there. I remember seeing those videos when people tagged me it on Facebook. I just think that would be a benefit, because I feel like if you're going to ride the tallest coaster in the world, half of it is ascending the tallest coaster in the world. So if they just launch you straight up at 35 miles an hour, I mean, it's just like, I mean, you can't turn around and see how high you are. And before you know it, you're at the top and you're going down. Yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds like a great addition to Worlds of Fun. And it sounds like they're making a, a lot of great improvements to celebrate their 50th anniversary because apparently they opened in 1973. And here we are in 2023 and they're celebrating 50 years. Uh, what else did they have there for that celebration? Well, they also had the 50th Museum. I mean, this was huge for folks like me who grew up going to the park and loved the history of the park. What they did is they took their Tivoli uh, Music Hall. They converted the lobby into this 50th anniversary museum. I think they've got um, some funds to do it, maybe from um, Lamar Hunt's foundation or trust. I don't know how that works, but Lamar Hunt, first owner of the Kansas City Chiefs, created the AFC Conference of Football. He also owned Worlds of Fun. That was his big passion project, just to have fun. <laughs> um, so, a world of it, in fact. A, a world of it, absolutely. And so there's a lot of donations, I think, from the family in there. There were some things that I was like, like there's this shovel in there. <laughs> it, there's like a groundbreaking shovel, and I'm and the person I'm with, I'm like, oh, look at this, this must be the groundbreaking shovel from 1973. And then you look closer and it's like 2008. And it's like, oh, it must have been for Prowler, which, you know, that's cool. But it's it's they put the shovel in the area that's talking about the first, like, opening week and opening months prior to opening. Okay. And, the, and the visioning and the plan, you're like, oh, okay. I mean, 
I see what you did there, but I think the big pull for a lot of people is they have the Orient Express lead car. That's going to be the biggest thing I think that's most iconic with people going through this museum. Yeah, I think people know about the Cotton Blossom, and I think they know about the Sky Ride that may have been there. And if they don't know about it, I think they're just like, oh, cool, there was a Sky Ride. You know, I think that's kind of it. But to see the Orient Express, which has, similar to the Zambezi Zinger, sort of transcended Kansas City culture... Um, and growing up in that area, I think that's the biggest deal and why it's at the very back of the museum. You got to go through everything to get to there. And it's the lighting is very dramatic. It's kind of funny. Like they use a lot of fluorescent light because, I mean, they don't need to put special lights on things. And they have light boards and stuff with can lights. But there it is in the back corner. It's kind of dark and they've got moody lights on it. It was just it was funny. But so it was awesome to see. Me, you're telling me, DJ that the Orient Express car in the museum is essentially the milk at the back yes. corner of the grocery store. Is, is that what milk, you're telling me? It's the milk and bread. And all of the, and not only Orient Express, but really anything to do with coasters for the most part and high thrill rides, it's going to be back there. The beginnings, like, you know, things that are interesting, like they have, they show how host uniforms have changed. They have a name tag display, which is kind of cool. Um, they show iconic show outfits. Um, they have they don't do this anymore they just have these giant heads like like heads of a of a creature or monsters that they would carry in their parade these are like i don't know i mean they're tall they're like eight ten feet tall paper mache heads um those they have one of those in the back um that was i think that one thing that i was maybe not disappointed over but i had hoped to see more haunt stuff um and there was i don't think there was any mention of any of their old haunts um they used to have um, oh, I know they had Camp Gonna Get You, Witch a Hatchet. That was one of my favorite houses. Um, they had Carnival of Carnivorous Clowns. That was their original house. Um, so I didn't see any of that. So it was what it was. I mean, Haunt definitely went to the side. I'm sure someone was like, this is not about Haunt. This is about 50 years of whatever. And I was okay. I understand. But, you know, whatever. There's plenty of photos of the Extreme Roller or Extreme Roller. Scream Roller, EXT, the four different names it had. Yeah. <laughs> um, plenty of that. That's always fun to explain. Um, but that was the first stand-up coaster in the United States, I believe. Yeah, I mean, there's a, a lot of history at Worlds of Fun, and it's fun to see not only what is in the museum, but what is out there in terms of history of the park, where there is still the station of the Orient Express there. I think it's now a haunt, Lore of the Vampire, something like yes. that. Um, yes, it is. And then elements like that where, like, the chicken exit sign, I'm not sure if it's still in the Timberwolf station, but at least no, it was. No, that's, that's in the museum. They moved it. Okay. It's, All right. It's above the Orient Express sign, but yes, the chicken exit sign was in Timberwolf for quite a long time. Yeah, I remember that being there, and I thought, oh, history, right, Which, right before our feet. Yeah. And Timberwolf itself is the old cue of the Scream Roller, so yeah. there's a little history there, too. I mean, that's why the air gates don't line up, because yep, they were exactly. built for the aero trades. And it's funny how history just lives on like that. And if you Which, know where to look, you can see it. I got to make another just quick shout out. I say this anytime my friends ask me about it, but Timberwolf is just running so good. I mean, it still might be my favorite ride in the park. It was last year when I wrote it. I think I wrote it the year before, and it was my favorite ride in the park still is wow. it's just like they've done the right work where it needed to be done they've rebuilt what needed to be completely rebuilt and they've left some of the original the final little bunny hill and little lateral moves pretty jerky as they should be because you're not barreling through at 45 miles an hour you're hitting at 20 25 miles an hour it's 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 good it's 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 rickety in a good way 
That's awesome. Well, it sounds like you had a great visit to Worlds of Fun, DJ. Uh, and thank you for bringing us along with you. Absolutely. If you're looking to go when no one's there, I would recommend a weekend in the summer. <laughs> or weekday, sorry. Well, as we close up, DJ, I wanted to close with a quick solicitation of input from you, dear listener, because, uh, of course, I'm always high on those advice columns that are out there. It's fun to read when people have a problem or a situation, and then they go and they give it to this columnist or this podcast or whatever else or this audiobook that I've listened to, that sort of thing. And I thought, why can't we do a little bit of that? And so uh, it's a, a long, circumlocuitous way of asking the dear listener, to send in questions. That's how you can have a corkscrew conversation with us. Case in point, we have a great question here from a, a dear listener of ours uh, who submitted this. So let's go through it right now. Let's give him a quick shout out because that's what we do. Uh, this is from Chris GP on Instagram. <laughs> so a shout, shout out to Chris. to Chris GP. Not you, Chris. Other Chris. No, well, you can give me a shout out. That's fine with me. But okay, uh, shout out. Shout this out. one's for you, Chris GP. Dear Cece, hey guys, I really enjoyed listening to episode 98 about wooden coasters today, my first podcast of yours. I especially enjoyed the mention of the Wild Mouse at Luna Park, Sydney, which I look after. Have you ever considered an episode on the last remaining wooden Wild Mouse coasters as a topic? Sincerely, Chris GP. Hmm. That is a great question, like a whole episode just on those wooden wild mouse coasters hmm. yeah it's not a type of coaster that i had previously thought a lot about of course i'd known that they had existed that they were out there that they were earlier in the roller coaster development in history uh, of course famously again the second reference of roller coaster tycoon 3 but here we go uh, on roller coaster tycoon 3 that is one of the least expensive roller coaster models to build so if you are a park in roller coaster tycoon 3 starting with nothing you can usually build a, a coaster like this coaster like that but it, more than likely than not it's going to be a wooden wild mouse that is going to be the first cash cow in terms of roller coasters that you're able to get so that was my first exposure if to you the build it right. wild mouse you got to build yeah, it correctly you, it, you got to make sure you don't <laughs> that's take one speed. ride type that could get out of control very quickly yeah oh oof. wooden wild mouse one looks too intense for me <laughs> something like that <laughs> it's kind of a ride that you know i grew up with rct one and two uh, i think i've talked about this before i couldn't play three until i think i was in college didn't have a computer ever that would run it um, but playing RCT 1 and 2, and then seeing on the roller coaster database, rcdb.com, seeing the example that was taken out of Blackpool, right? That's the one that was taken out that everyone seemed to love. I think it was in Blackpool. Um, Blackpool Pleasure Beach. It, seeing it, you're like, oh, that is literally the ride. Like, there are some points where you can tell, especially because Roller Coaster Tycoon was made from someone living in the UK. It's like, yeah, you can tell this is exactly what they modeled that coaster model after it happens like at Thorpe park or Alton towers or Blackpool, wherever it might be. It's like, yeah, that's literally it. <laughs> yeah. It's like the Virginia reel two or the flying yeah. turns or a side friction roller coaster where it's a roller coaster model that if it's not extinct, there's only a couple examples out there, if any, um, <laughs> we, I think we've talked about the Virginia reel before, but it's again, one of those concepts where it's <laughs> like, wow, a spinning, wooden roller coaster <laughs> a hot tub thing it was 
an incredible concept, and I wish that it would make a renaissance in that sense because it would be really fun to get something like that out there. I think that would be a great well, novelty. But back to the Wooden Wild Mouse, DJ, at Luna Park in Sydney, they have four roller coasters, three of which opened in 2021, including the first and only Intamin single rail so far. Uh, but they have one coaster here that opened in 1963, and that is the Wooden Wild Mouse Coaster. Uh, I took a little look around. It is right on the water in the harbor. It looks beautiful. Uh, it turned 60 just recently. And uh, let's go onto the website right here, just read a little bit about this historic roller coaster. Uh, it says, uh, mm. let's see. Oh, Did you it know looks the exact same. <laughs> yeah, it does. See, it's only one of three of its kind operating in the world. It's a rare gravity-fed roller coaster. Well, I mean, they're all gravity-fed. But the Wild Mouse Track is a 400-meter-long steel track built on a group of timber towers. The original coaster style is called Wildcat, with three signature switchbacks followed by bunny hop vertical hills. For over yeah. half a century, the Wild Mouse has been the most popular ride at Luna Park. So, yeah, it's a, an iconic ride there. Uh, they do have the timeline on that page as well, where it opened in 63, uh, then in 69, it, it was replaced. They got rid of it uh, with the larger Wildcat coaster. Uh, but then here we go. This story has a happy ending. In 1995, they did reinstall this wooden Wild Mouse roller coaster at Luna Park and then got it on the list of the register of the national estate. So it's a piece of history, and they've recognized that in that sense to protect it. Uh, so it has continued on, and it's been restored wow. and updated through the years. And now here it is uh, anchoring the lineup in Luna Park in Sydney. Yeah, and I think it's interesting how in, like, RCT, the the cars, like, teeter over the edge. Like, they're kind of on, like, a, a tilt. It looks like maybe that feature has been lost, at least on the restoration of the ride in its past iteration. Um but man, the track type and everything, I mean, it looks exactly the same as what you'd see in RCT. And it looks like a fun ride. Like, I think people sometimes sleep on these older rides and they assume, oh, it's so old. How could it be a good roller coaster? Um, you just watch the POV or the off ride of this thing, and I can tell you exactly how it's good. <laughs> yeah. It looks like I mean, a blast. This, it looks like a really fun ride. And it is. We've only talked briefly about its history, but it is interesting to note, DJ, that Ted Hopkins, who was um, about 50, 60 years ago, then the manager of Luna Park, Sydney, and Dick Pierce, they traveled to Seattle, Washington for the 1962 World's Fair. Uh, and they, what did they see? They saw a wooden wild mouse and they said, I'll take it. So they purchased the plans to it, plus a car, I guess, so that they could reverse engineer it and refabricate a, a number of different cars for their rides that they would bring to Australia. But they brought it back to Sydney. They copied it and built this wooden wild mouse for the residents of this continent on the other side of the world. And uh, they didn't stop there, though. They did add two other wooden wild mouse coasters in Australia in 1962. And wouldn't you know it, DJ, they are still open today, not in their original locations, but they are still operating in the, in the world, these Hopkins and Pierce wooden wild mice. So let me click on RCDB right here and get these locations for you. Sure. Absolutely. There's Animal Coaster, which is currently in Batu, East Java, Indonesia, which has been <laughs> at this location since 2011. Hey, I've been to Indonesia, so I was somewhat close to it, perhaps. 
Yeah, I'm looking at photos of it right now. It is painted a, a nice... Wow, that's actually a really great color scheme for this. I mean, usually yeah. the wood wild mouse, if it's a classic, either wood or white, that'd be fine. But I think this color scheme works. It's a, a sort of a, a deeper blue at the bottom level that transitions to a lighter, almost sky blue as it goes up. Yeah. And then, of course, the wooden track itself is painted well, orange by the look of it or, or a, a natural wood color. The cars are intricate, too. Like, they're kind of like that similar to what you see at carnivals where each car is like hand painted and then like an acrylic lacquers put over it. These all look like hand painted cars of different animals. Yeah. I mean, they really did take care in making this something pretty. Uh, so that's cool to follow there. And that's the animal coaster. The other surviving wooden wild mouse coaster, again, there's only three is also in East Java, Indonesia, but instead in Taban. And this is crazy car coaster, uh, which uh, again, is this one of these wooden wild mice here, Taking a look at it right now, it looks like a classic. I mean, it looks like the others as well. It has those iconic car-looking yeah. cars. Uh, they built it to look like <laughs> a car, and it was built in the 60s, so it looks like it. And that's just iconic and incredible to see. So it's great that we have a little bit of history surviving on in that sense, where we have the Luna Park Wild Mouse in that sense, and we have the two other sibling coasters still out there today. Mm. Sure, they're across the pond, but that's perfectly okay, too. And uh, I did a little bit of research, DJ, because I was curious. I said, the wooden wild mouse, what's the story with that? When did the wild mouse get its purchase in the story of the roller coaster and it turns out in 1951 that was the earliest wooden wild mouse that i could find on rcdb and that is devil shoot in portsmouth so throughout the years they would spread to some notable parks we would have portsmouth some, ohio uh portsmouth england i'm pretty sure oh okay yeah over in the uk where they'd have the say, first wooden wild mouse i've been uh, to yeah. portsmouth so i was but other portsmouth mm-hmm yeah, but there would be some notable parks that would have a wooden, a wooden, a wooden wild mouse through the years, like Boblo Island near Detroit, Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk, Blackpool Pleasure Beach, famously, uh, Cedar Point. Interestingly, the coaster then would move to Dollywood, yeah, and Gold then Rush Lagoon. Junction. Yeah, so I mean that's it's really fun to hear about uh, this type of roller coaster that isn't as prevalent anymore. I mean, we're still seeing wild mice pop up here and there, but usually they are those steel versions of it too. But uh, I imagine a wooden wild mouse creates some unique challenges for maintaining a wooden coaster, especially with those lateral G's, because uh, ultimately you love to see a wooden wild mouse um, have those intense lateral forces. But uh, with a, a wooden coaster, there is naturally the upkeep and replacing track and sections sure. of wood throughout the years. And uh, with different forces, that creates different requirements for maintenance schedules. And uh, it's great to see that uh, a couple of parks out there are still continuing uh, to operate and maintain these pieces of history right here. Uh, it'd be incredible to see something like this come back to the Western Hemisphere, DJ. Uh, I'd love to see it at a park. I mean, the first one that would come to mind would be the park Canobles. that has... <laughs> there you go, yeah. The park that has brought back the flying turns type of roller coaster. Uh, maybe they do something like this. Maybe not. Uh, it'd be super difficult, I think, to, to both 
uh, R&D and develop this roller coaster here and, and then have a return on it. But maybe Knobles would do it. Uh, maybe Kennywood or even Blackpool Pleasure Beach or even Santa Cruz to, to get that. Because, you know, uh, we have, uh, what's it, the Zambezi Zinger coming back to Worlds of Fun in Kansas City and the locals really resonating with that. Even though it's a different roller coaster type and a different ride, it means something to them because they're bringing it back after all these years. And here we go again. We have the Zambezi Zinger back. Um, it'd be interesting to see a, a park in the Western Hemisphere bring that back as well. It seems like Knobles could maybe be one of the ones you've listed that would do it. And some of these other ones are great. And I think we're a little spoiled having us, both of us having been on flying turns. We're like, see, they did that. That seems like it's a lot more difficult. And they poured money into doing flying turns. So... Can we do a, a new Wooden Wild Mouse? I mean, they have Black Diamond, which was, you know, a, is it a, it's a coaster, right? Oh, yeah, it's a credit. Yeah, it's a coaster. Like, that, knowing what that was and how they put all the work into it to get that up and running, um, it, I got to take a quick moment also and uh, just give a quick happy birthday uh, to Knobles because tomorrow um, they're actually celebrating the 50th birthday of the iconic Haunted Mansion. So just a quick happy birthday grimace, happy birthday Haunted Mansion at Knobles. They kind of <laughs> go together, honestly. There could be a grimace shake at the end of the Haunted Mansion. But remember going through that, I, I felt like it, it got me a couple times. Yeah, I mean, especially that uh, train horn that they put right next to your ears. <laughs> uh, and the buzzers, yeah. the, the loud um, laundry or washing machine buzzer. Yeah, <laughs> gotta love it. I mean, uh, that is uh, incredible to to have ridden that within a year of its 50th anniversary. That was really special as well, DJ. But I know it's fun to talk preservation and the history of this industry and parks and roller coasters too. So uh, that was a great question, Chris GP. I do thank you for uh, having a corkscrew conversation with us. And I do thank you for your service in maintaining that piece of history there so that families and everyone can go ride that in Luna Park for years to come. Now, Chris reached out to Chris via Instagram, uh, DMing us on Instagram, but there are a variety of ways that you can have a corkscrew conversation with us as well uh, that can be similar to Dear CC or really any other question you might have. There's multiple ways to do that. You can do the Instagram DM. You can also find us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, and we also have email, corkscrewconvos at gmail.com, and all those social platforms are going to be at corkscrewconvos or some other variation of the title. If you want to help out the show, there's a really quick, free, easy way to do that. And that is by leaving a written five-star review on Apple Podcasts or just a five-star review on Spotify. Uh, or and either or, they work for me. It does help us to get out the show to more people and to spread the good word about roller coasters and thrill rides and theme parks. And it's a lot of fun to do that. But until next time, my name is Chris. My name is DJ. And this has been another Corkscrew Convo. Thanks for listening.